So, I want to tell you about Elizabeth. So, Elizabeth grew up in a pretty safe, normal family that loved her very much. Elizabeth's family also was very conservative, and in the town she grew up in, pretty much everybody was. Um, Elizabeth grew up um, going to a church where they held to conservative uh, Christian family values, and they, they took that very seriously. She went to a church that was very active in politics as well. Um, her, her pastor was, would regularly talk about politics and would uh, regularly uh, talk a lot about the frustration and the despair he, that he and many others were feeling at the changes happening in our country. And he would talk about um, all kinds of political issues. He would talk about um, the increase in, in sexual sin, families falling apart, the, the increase of drug usage, the, uh, the seeming increase of crime. He would talk about these, these problems, about the moral decay in America. And he was very fiery and very, you know, very energetic about it. And he would um, preach against it, and he would, he would warn that if America was not careful, that God would take their blessings away, that we were just headed down the toilet unless we changed course. And uh, likewise at home, Elizabeth's family felt the same way. Um, they were very concerned about the changes they saw going on in society. Um, her dad would watch the news a lot, would uh, um, li- love to talk about politics, and he was, he was very into that. And he would, he would talk a lot, and he was just baffled. He was very conservative, and he was baffled that anybody else wouldn't be. He, was, he, he just could not understand. It seemed so, so clear and, and obvious to him that it just seemed stupid to him that there were some people who, who it's, it seemed like they just wanted to create a nanny state, that, for example. They would just give out things to people who didn't work for it, right? They would just give handouts to people who abused the system. He, he felt like the, the government wanted to take guns away from good people, and, and it wasn't really dealing with the real issues at stake. He felt like, um, you know, peop, there, there were people who just wanted to have, have no security at all, that, that he, he worried that if people, it seems like there are people who just want to open up the border and let anybody in with no vetting process, and how do we know how do we know that we can trust these people? How do we know that there won't be dangerous consequences? Because there sure seem to be a lot of problems right now. And, and so he, the, she grew up feeling the same way Elizabeth did. She, it just seemed very obvious and very normal and very natural. Well, of course. Why would anybody think otherwise? And so then she went to college. And in, in college, she was at a, a pretty well-known state university. She got a great scholarship. She was a great student. And when she was at college, she was surrounded by a lot of people who didn't think that way. Uh, she, she met people who were Muslim. She had never really met a Muslim until going to college, but, but she was scared of Muslims. But she, she met a Muslim, and, and he wasn't like a mean person. Actually, he was very nice, very friendly person, right? Very kind. Loved his family, family a lot. She met a, uh, a, a friend who was gay, right? And uh, this person, likewise, didn't seem like a horrible person otherwise. You know, they, they were a decent, normal person. Cared a lot about people, actually. Right? She met, she met a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people her age, and maybe even some teachers that were, that were more politically liberal. And... Uh, and, and, and they seemed like normal, rational, intelligent people. They didn't seem like they had some crooked agenda. They didn't seem like they were in on a conspiracy. They just seemed like good, decent, normal people. And this kind of took her 
by surprise, you know. She just kind of grew up thinking, how could anybody believe this? They must be an idiot or they must be evil or something. Why would anybody believe this stuff? And now she was surrounded by these people and was finding that they didn't seem so bad. And as she got to know them, she started seeing things that she hadn't seen before and thinking about things in ways that she hadn't thought about them before. And also, while she was in college, she got very involved in, uh, in um, you know, some, some help to homeless people in her area. She would walk in the, in the community, walking, you know, in a, in a large city, and she'd be walking around the city with her friends, and she would see homeless people everywhere, and that really bothered her. There wasn't as much of that where she came from, and she was very troubled by that, and she got very involved with efforts to help the poor in her community. She, uh, at one point, she went on a mission trip um, to a country in Africa where she saw some people living in very terrible conditions. And she became very concerned about these problems in the world and very concerned about helping people, right? And uh, so one time she goes home for Thanksgiving and her whole family's there, her extended family. And uh, her uncle, you know, as always happens, sooner or later, one of the uncles starts going political, you know. Does anybody else have an uncle like that? If you don't, you are the uncle, okay? You know, what, whatever your political persuasion, I think every family has at least one of those. But no, I mean, so the, so the conversation goes political and, and people are talking and saying the usual things and this time she's kind of hearing it differently than she used to. You know, some of, some of the particular issues they were talking about, she, she felt like, well, I get your point, but it's, it's more complicated than that. It's not that simple. And so she tried to bring this up, and she had learned a thing or two about that particular issue and about different views on it, and she was kind of at a point where she could see this side and see that side. And, uh, and her, her family just looked at her like there were lobsters crawling out of her ears. They, they looked at her like, where are you getting this? And, and all of a sudden, they were all really worried about her. And, oh, no, what's this liberal school doing to you? And, and she just kind of decided then and there, I can't talk to my family about politics. It never ends well. And sometimes she would get sucked in anyway, but she, she tried not to. And she, she was confused that she loved her family, believed in a lot of the values that they had, but she more and more felt alienated and felt like they didn't understand the way she saw things, felt like they were closed-minded and they weren't seeing things that she was seeing, and felt like they were treating things like they were simple when they were actually very complicated and she could see both sides of an issue. And on the other hand, when she was back at school, she felt free to say things that would have been scandalous to come out of her mouth back home. I also want to tell you about Jason Jason grew up in a Christian background as well. And Jason always had a feeling that he was a little left out and he didn't quite fit in. He, he, he never could quite put his finger on it until around the age of 11 or 12, he started to notice that whereas the other boys around him were becoming more and more interested in girls, he was never that interested in girls. In fact, he was a lot more interested in boys. And uh, he, he grew up in a church where they held to the Bible and they said, this is what the Bible says, it's clear. And, and he, you know, he heard that in church, he would hear that passage from Leviticus uh, 19 that says, you know, that, that you know, a man shall not lay with another man, that it's an abomination, right? And so he grew up thinking, wow, well, this is an abomination, this is a sin. And the thing is, as he got older, um, he struggled with this. He knew it was wrong, 
and he wanted to fight it, and he wanted to be normal, and he wanted to fit in, and he didn't want to be different from everybody else anymore. He wanted to just feel like he belonged. And so he faked it. He tried really, really hard to pretend to be straight. He even tried dating some girls. But the feelings that he was having, he wasn't looking for them. He was trying to resist them, but they, they kept coming. And, and eventually, around the age of 17, he had reached a point where he felt like, I'm tired of fighting this. I'm trying not to be this way, but I am. I didn't ask for it, but it came to me. I don't know how to be any way different. And so he started to think, well, this is just a part of who I am. And uh, eventually, it took a lot of courage and a lot of time to work up the strength, but eventually he came out to his mom. And Jason told her the way he felt. He told her that he was gay. And she was just kind of stunned. She didn't know how to react. You know, he, he knew that she loved him, but, but she didn't know how to, how to respond to something like that. And, uh, well, a couple days later, he finds himself in a therapist's office. She, she thought the best thing for him was to, to take him to therapy to, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, to fix him, right? To fix the problem. Because it was just out of her depth, and she thought an expert can handle this. And so she took him to a therapist. And that therapist wanted to work with Jason to cure him. And long story short, Jason wanted it to work, and he tried very hard, but long story short, it did not work. It didn't really change anything as far as the desires he was experiencing. And so all along, Jason, like any teenager who has a question, was Googling. By the way, parents, be careful about how easily your child can Google things. Um, he, was, he was Googling questions like, why did God make me gay? He was Googling questions like, why do Christians hate gay people? Because he, he was going through this thing where he felt out like an outsider and he felt like he didn't belong. And when he tried to open up about it, what he got was not acceptance, but a very, a very difficult and confused response. Whereas when he went online, he found people who accepted him. He found people who didn't see a problem with any of that, who, who told him that he was normal and that he was okay. He found people who accepted him without any judgment and without telling him what he needed to do, but just showing full love and acceptance to him, true unconditional acceptance and love. Now, Jason wanted to follow Jesus. It seemed pretty clear that the Bible said that something about him was wrong, but it was something that he couldn't change. And so he wondered, why would God make me this way? Why would God do this to me? And he wondered, if this is an abomination, well, what if it's a part of who I am? Does that make me an abomination? And he wasn't finding a lot of acceptance among Christians, but he was finding a lot of acceptance among people on the internet that he didn't really know in person. Last story. I want to tell you about Sarah. So Sarah was, grew up in church as well. She was very, very involved in church, loved it. She was there anytime the doors were open. She loved to pray and study the Bible. Very, very 
uh, involved in church, she played piano at church too, and she loved doing that. And over time, the church formed this musical group that would travel around to different churches, and they would play some songs, and they would preach the gospel. And so she was in this traveling group, and she would go from church to church. And she enjoyed it at first, but along the way, there were some challenges. Um, For one thing, they would go to a lot of these churches, and some of these people were just the rudest, least welcoming, unkind people she'd ever met. They were just so rude and inconsiderate. Some of these churches she went to, there was one where she went, and and it was Easter Sunday, and before um, the service, she heard two pastors in a back room screaming at each other. And then five minutes before the service, they walked out of the room, took a deep breath, and walked into the sanctuary like nothing had happened. And that just seemed wrong to her for pastors to behave that way on, on Easter Sunday. She went to some churches where she was skeptical about, about the way they were spending their money. She saw these big buildings and thought, wow, couldn't you have spent that money on the poor? She was just a lot of questions she was having. And, and maybe if she had looked into it, there would be good answers, and she knew that. But, but she was just very skeptical, of, disheartened by some of the things that she was seeing. One stop, one town they were in, Late at night, one of the men in the group got her by herself and cornered her, and he did things to her that she did not consent to. And she tried to escape, she tried to fight him, she tried to reason with him and plead with him and talk her way out of it, and nothing worked. And he had her way with his way with her. And after that she felt used and dirty and broken. Now, she grew up in church. She knew that sex outside of marriage is a big no-no, and she felt guilty about that. Even though she knew it didn't make sense, it wasn't her fault, she felt like it was her fault. She felt ashamed. She felt like it was all her fault, like there was something she could have done different. And who do you talk to about this? Who do you talk to when you feel ashamed and ruined and, and broken and like you'll never be the same again? Who can you talk to? And she kept it secret for a very long time. And eventually she did share it with a close friend from church. And her friend was kind of taken aback and uh, didn't quite know how to respond. And said, well, I, you know, um, I think God has a plan for this. And uh, I, th- I think you should forgive him. And those weren't exactly helpful things to hear. Even if they were true, they weren't exactly helpful. She already felt guilty and ashamed as it was and, and saying God has a plan for this made her feel like, wait, so God wanted this to happen? She was already having trouble believing that there was a God who loved her who would allow something like this to happen and now you're telling me that he actually wanted this? And after what's been done to me, you're telling me right now that I should forgive him? If you're feeling uncomfortable by these stories, Buckle in. It's not exactly going to get easier. I don't tell these stories because they're examples of good things happening or people making great choices. I'm sharing those stories because they are real. I'm sharing them because they are complicated and messy. We go through things in life that make us doubt God. We go through things in life that make it very hard to believe in him. 
And you know, there can be a lot of things that make us doubt. There can, for some people, you have these intellectual doubts. You know, it, just philosophical things. Or you're, you're looking at, you're, look, you're learning about evolution in school and you say, well, how, does this, how is this compatible? How does this make any sense? Or you're, you're, you're looking at Noah's Ark and you're like, really? Really? Like a bunch of animals get on a boat and everybody in the world is dying and really? And sometimes it's intellectual things like that. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's more personal. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a value. It's something that you, you perceive Christians around you, they seem like hypocrites. They seem maybe racist or homophobic. They, see, they seem xenophobic. They seem like they don't care about the poor even though Jesus talks so much about the poor. And you see issues like that and you think, if that's what Christianity is, I don't know if I have a place in it, if that's what it looks like. Or maybe it's a, it's a crisis. Maybe something really difficult is happening and you're saying, where is God in all this? And he seems to be silent. Maybe it's a traumatic thing you've been through or a traumatic thing you've witnessed somebody else go through and you think, how could a loving, all-powerful God allow something like this to happen? Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's something you've done that you think, oh, that's it. God would never take me back. I definitely can't tell anybody at church. I definitely can't tell my family. I definitely can't tell my friends about this because they would never look at me the same way again. And you have this shame. You feel like even if you wanted to come back, you never, ever could. And in a lot of cases, it's just this drift. It's just this weak relationship with God. I mean, maybe you grew up going to church, but you were just going through the motions, and it was just because your family did it, and you, you never really took it that seriously. And kind of like that balloon, you're kind of blown up real big, and it doesn't take much to pop your faith one day. Or maybe you used to be real close to God, and you've been drifting away, and it just you, one way or another, your relationship with God becomes weak, and the weaker the relationship it is, the easier it is to just break that relationship off if it seems like it's not working. Here's, here's why I bring this up. So we're, if you've been following the series we're in, you're wondering why I'm talking about any of this. <laughs> we're doing a series called Real Relationships, and we've been talking about how to have more healthy, authentic relationships with people in our lives. And this morning what we're talking about is how to relate to God without feeling phony, fake, inauthentic, and the biggest barrier to our relationship with God and also to God's people, to the church, oftentimes is the doubt that we experience. And some of us are afraid of doubt. It makes us very uncomfortable. Whether you experience it in yourself, you hear somebody saying something you don't like, and so you stop listening. You write them off, you make a quick excuse, you get out of it. You turn the TV off, whatever it takes. Or you see somebody else going through it and you don't really know what to say. You just kind of give them these pat answers and, and you, you just want them to stop doubting and believe, right? And you want to help them, but you don't really know what to say. Here's the thing. Doubt, I'm not going to say that doubting God is a good thing, but it is a thing. And it is a thing that you will experience if you haven't yet. I'm amazed. You will. And most of you in this room, I know you have. And a lot of us, our tendency is to hide it. Our tendency is, you notice that the pattern in all three of those stories, those were three people who felt like the Christians in their life were the last people they could talk to about what they were experiencing. And it was easier to talk to somebody 
outside of the faith about those things than it was to talk to a Christian about it. And that breaks my heart. Here's my point this morning. You are going to experience doubt in your life. It will happen, and there's no way around it. The question is what you're going to do when that doubt comes. Let me read to you from uh, James 1, verses 2 through 5. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. He says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When you read the Bible, you will notice that the Bible takes for granted that life is going to be hard and you're going to have doubts. The Bible isn't afraid or nervous about that. In fact, a lot of the Bible, a lot of the New Testament is written under the assumption that people are going to be skeptical. You, you read, for example, the letter, uh, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. It's just an extended argument trying to convince them of some things, trying to explain why the faith makes sense. Right? So much of the Bible is just a response to doubts and answering questions and things like that. The Bible takes for granted that we're going to face doubts. It's us who are uncomfortable with it. Does anybody in here lift weights? Anybody? All right, so you in the back. What, what, what's your name? Mike. I can't, I can't see you very well, but, but there's Mike over there. All right, so Mike, when, um, when you lift weights, how do you feel afterwards, after a good workout? You feel refreshed. Oh, all right. How do, how do your muscles feel? They feel great? Well, I, I don't know about you, Mike. I don't feel that way. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 know, I know what you're getting at. You just, you just mean that it's good, it's energizing, it's healthy, it gives you energy throughout the day. Do your, do your muscles feel tired and fatigued after a good workout? Why, why is that? Why are your muscles so tired? They've been used, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, so, so when you work out, when you get a real good workout on your muscles... And I'm not just talking about like a pretend cardio workout where you barely get, break a sweat and then you're done. I'm talking about a real workout. You work your muscles real well. You might feel kind of energized afterwards, but you're, if you do the workout right, your muscles are going to be sore. And what's actually happening is you are ripping your muscles apart. <laughs> just little micro tears are being made in your muscles. But you know what happens after that? Once, once they're stretched and then you rest, what happens to your muscles? They grow back stronger, don't they? They recover stronger than they were before. I want to suggest to you this morning that doubt is not the opposite of faith, that faith is a muscle, and doubt is an obstacle that, if responded to correctly, can make your faith actually stronger. So how do we do that? How do we handle doubt well? I'll make this quick. We read earlier from this passage in Hebrews 10, and I think there's some wisdom we can glean from that about what to do when we face trials and what to do when we face doubts, and I, I won't read it again because it was already read. But number one, I think we need to be honest. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're in this room and you don't feel like you belong here, if you're in this room and you have questions 
that you feel like you could not tell anybody or something that you need to get off your chest, but you don't have a person that is safe to talk to, I want to tell you, you need to talk. You remember that illustration with the balloon earlier? That's what happens, doesn't it? And when a balloon explodes, can you put it back together? Not very easily. (laughs) It's a lot easier to just get a new balloon, isn't it? But what you can do is make that little squealing noise and you can release some air. Doubts are going to come your way and when they do, you need to be honest. You need to talk about them. Doubt is like a mold. When it's left in a cool, dark, damp place, guess what it does? It just grows and festers. You have to let it out into the light. It will not help you any to keep it hidden. And not just that, not just being open to other people, but being open to God. Some of you have been through something and you cannot understand why God will let you go through that and you are angry with him. You feel betrayed by him. And you know what you need to do? Is tell him that. Now I know it feels weird like, you know, a pastor telling, me, telling you to be angry at God. Like, it feels like you're not supposed to be angry at him. You feel guilty about it. I know. I know exactly how that feels. Here's the thing. God's a big boy. He can handle it. There's nothing you are going through that he's going to be shocked by. There's nothing you are going through that he does not already know about. He knows what you're going through. He's not going to be shocked. He can handle it. We serve a mighty God, don't we? Can I get an amen? Amen. We serve a God who cares about us, don't we? You can say amen again. (laughs) Amen, right? We serve a big God who cares a lot about us. He can handle what we're going through if we open up to him. And when we keep things from him, our tendency when we're having doubts, when we're having difficulties, is to withdraw. We withdraw from God. We withdraw from the people in our life that care about us. And the best thing we can do is to open up. And it feels counterintuitive and it's scary. It is the only good solution. Number two. So number one is be honest when you're facing doubts. Number two, be helpful when somebody else is facing doubts. Okay, guys, listen. I just told a bunch of people that if they're having doubts, they should open up about it. Guess who they're going to open up to? If somebody shares with you something they're going through, I know it is going to be difficult and it is going to be scary for you just like it is for them. I need you to be honest. Don't pretend you have answers that you don't. Don't give pat answers that just, and be, that, that just comes across as dismissive. Don't say things that make it sound simple and not so hard. Acknowledge that it's hard. When somebody is, is going through something difficult, you say, I am so sorry. I love you, and I am with you, and I'm here for you, and I am so sorry that's happening to you. And that's all you need to say. If somebody has serious questions and they're like intellectual questions, if you know the answer, then say, well, I, I, if, if this is just an intellectual thing, I think I have some answers. I think there's good reasons to believe in Jesus because there are, right? And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know the answer to that question. That's a tough question. But let's find out together. Let's go find one of our pastors and let's talk about this. And I want to put out something too that if you feel like you don't have somebody you can talk to, I'm here. 
I spend a lot of time here in this building over in my office over there. You can come talk to me anytime. And I, I, I can say the same for the other pastors, for, for pastors Dave and Tim here. And if you need, as anonymous as it needs to be, if you need to email us and, and meet somewhere two states from here so that nobody finds out, we'll do it, okay? I mean, if, if you need a, if it needs to be anonymous, that's fine. Let's be open. And when somebody opens to you, be honest. No matter how hard it is, here's the thing, it's not going to be simple and it's not going to be easily solved. It's one of those real life problems that is complicated and there is no clear black and white answer that just makes everything all better and the problem is gone. It's difficult. Lean into that. The last thing, we need to be, op- we need to be open and honest. We need to be helpful. And lastly, we need to be patient. Here's the thing. You're, you're angry at God. You don't understand why he's allowing something to happen. And you say, God, where are you? Speak to me. Give me some kind of sign. And guess what, what often happens? Silence. And you say, well, God doesn't care. Give him some time. Maybe more than 10 seconds. We are so hasty these days, aren't we? We expect everything to be so instant. We think we do a a, a two-minute Google search and we can be an expert on something. No, you can't. (laughs) Give it time. Don't make a hasty decision. Don't assume that because you have a doubt that there is no, because you have a question, there's no answer. Because you have a hurt, there is no healing. Don't assume that so quick. Give God time to work and be patient with him and be patient with the people around you. Give God time and seek him. Jesus says, uh, let, me, let me close with this. Jesus says in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then... Excuse me, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is not as impatient as you are, but when you seek him, he will be found by you. When you want to find him, you will find him. He will reveal himself to you. When you ask, he will answer. And it may not be the answer you want, but he will answer. Seek God Don't give up on him. Don't give up on his people even when they don't act like him. And church, church, can we make this a safe place to ask questions? Can we make this a safe place to say things that are controversial and talk it out like human beings, like rational grown-ups, and not get too uncomfortable and just lean into it? And the last thing I want to say is just God loves you so much. When you're having doubts, God just wants you to know how much he loves you. He just wants you to know that he loves you. And I don't just mean he loves you because it's generic, because, well, of course, God loves everybody, so he has to love me. I mean, God loves you. And he just wants you to know him. And he just wants to be close to you. Will you draw near to God today? And I want you to know that I'm here after the service. I'm going to be standing right up here if you want to talk or pray or whatever. 
I'll be here for you. And in general, me and, and the pastors and the elders of this church, we're here for you. We just want to help you. Will you pray with me?